Hey everybody, this is Juan Martinez of the Easyville Network, and welcome to the Easyville Minute for Monday, September 17th, 2018. So, you guys probably want an update on the wall, this stupid wall that I'm building in my backyard. Uh, things are not going as planned. We hit a couple snags. Uh, the stuff that's already built looks great. Uh, I'm quite proud to say that it actually looks good for a bunch of amateurs who are putting it together. But there's still a couple things to take care of, and it's taking longer than I expected. And it's, yeah, kind of annoying. Just a little bit, just a little bit. <laughs> but we'll have a little bit more time, hopefully, to record proper podcasts at this point. So let's start things off with uh, Hell in a Cell. Last night's uh, WWE pay-per-view that kind of sort of went nowhere, uh, at least in terms of like the men's main event scene, I guess. Uh, Let's start things off with the WWE Championship match between uh, AJ Styles and Samoa Joe. Uh, It was a pretty good match. I enjoyed it thoroughly. Uh, It ended with AJ Styles uh, pinning Samoa Joe. But at the same time, Joe had Styles in the Coquina Clutch. But the pin looked like uh, a solid three count for uh, AJ. But at the same time, he was also looking like he was tapping out. So he was tapping out while also pinning Samoa Joe. And it looked like the tap out occurred before the pinfall. But the ref did not see the tap out, so AJ wins, but in quote-unquote controversial fashion, which is basically taking another win away from Samoa Joe. Uh, it looked like he was on his way to winning uh, at SummerSlam, and then he was on his way to winning here at Hell in a Cell, and he goes away empty-handed. No WWE Championship at hand, and looks like they're going to continue this to uh, their next big show, which is going to be down in Australia for, uh, it's called Super Showdown, and there's going to be another match there, and hopefully, uh, and it's a bummer to say this, hopefully they don't Nakamura Samoa Joe, because, you know, Shinsuke Nakamura had an amazing run to start the year winning the Royal Rumble, getting a chance to compete for the championship against uh, AJ at WrestleMania, but then lost, turned heel, and has just been kind of squandered ever since then. Uh, they've kind of wasted all of their opportunities with Shinsuke. Uh, it's going to take a while to build him back up. And hopefully they don't do the same thing with Joe, which is basically make him look like a credible challenger, somebody who would probably should be the WWE champion by now, but, you know, just keeps getting screwed over or just, you know, they just keep pushing the, the story forward with no really discernible reason. Uh, simply because I guess AJ is because he's the cover athlete of WWE 2K19, I guess. I mean, there's no better deserving, you know, WWE superstar on the male side to be on the cover of the video game more than AJ Styles. But at the same time, yeah, you're kind of just not doing him a good, you know, you're not doing him service by having hang on to the title in these sketchy ways. It's not making him look good. So maybe it should be for the best if at some point either Nakamura had taken a title away from him, had a one or two month run, then AJ gets it back. And then same thing here with Joe. You know, hopefully Joe wins uh, in Australia and then they, you know, switch the title back to AJ in a month or two. You know, just let him ha- not have the title because AJ has had it for almost a year now. And while that's a hell of an accomplishment, it just hasn't felt like it just hasn't felt like a monumental run. Kind of like, say, like uh, Hulk Hogan had back in the days, who is a scumbag. Uh, and then CM Punk, who turns out might be a scumbag now. Uh, so, yeah, just let AJ lose the title. And then, you know, have it get him back, you know, within two months or something. Or wait until next year's WrestleMania. Have Joe have a lengthy run with the title and then, you know, just have a rematch at Mania. And then they can, you know, do the cycle all over again. And hopefully Nakamura will be involved at some point because I'm a Nakamura stan. 
But yeah, so that that kind of just went nowhere. And then the other thing that went nowhere is the uh, Hell in a Cell main event, uh, which featured Braun Strowman and Roman Reigns and somehow involved like seven other people. <laughs> uh, it involved like uh, Roman Reigns, uh, Shield Buddies, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins and Braun Strowman's buddies, Dolph Ziggler and Drew McIntyre. Who re- when really it should be Drew McIntyre who should be in the main event. That dude is huge. Dude is crazy looking. Anyways, um, the match ended in a no contest, which is probably a first for Hell in a Cell. I can't even remember a Hell in a Cell where something ended that bizarrely. And it ended bizarrely because Brock Lesnar showed up, which was a surprise. Actually, a legitimate surprise because we all thought Brock was going to be gone for at least a while because he was trying to go back into the UFC and have a dream match against Daniel Cormier. But looks like he's back. At least for one show, the rumor and innuendo going around is that Brock Lesnar is going to be back for another big super show. Not the one in Australia, but one in Saudi Arabia, which is like later this year, sometime around uh, Survivor Series or something or before Survivor Series. And he's going to be back for that for a big payday, which is apparently in the seven figures. And if you're Brock Lesnar and you are training to get back into the UFC, but in the meantime, you get a seven-figure payday from Saudi Arabia. I guess you kind of have to do it. And considering it's Brock Lesnar, I don't think he's too concerned about all of the political happenings right now in Saudi Arabia. Let's just put it at that. Uh, so he's back, and he beat the crap out of Les. Uh, he beat the crap out of Strowman, beat the crap out of Roman, and Hell in a Cell ended. It just ended. Like there was no pinfall. Like Brock didn't even like bother to put Roman on top of Strowman for a pinfall or the other way around, so that that thing ended with nothing. Like, and then there was like you know the Shield buddies, Dean Ambrose and Seth Rollins, and uh, the the Braun Strowman buddies, <laughs> Drew McIntyre and Dolph Ziggler battling out throughout the uh, Hell in a Cell structure. I think it ended with like Ambrose and McIntyre on top of the cell, and uh, Ambrose and then uh, Ziggler and Seth falling two tables which is you know a spot that they've kind of done a little bit too much at this point it's not even on top of the cell it's like three-fourths or even halfway up the cell so it's a spot we've kind of seen uh take place a couple times already so it's not as special even though it's still probably crazy and not safe (laughs) it's like they still have to do it just for the sake of doing it uh but yeah it just ended like nothing which is a weird thing to say uh, then there was the other stuff on the card. Uh, Randy Orton and Jeff Hardy also went in the Hell in a Cell match. And Jeff Hardy finally got to fulfill his wish of <laughs> competing in a Hell in a Cell match. Although probably wasn't the spot that everybody expected he would do, which is, you know, jump off the top of the cell. And it ended up being him actually just hanging on top of the cell, like, you know, hacking, hanging on the ceiling of the cell, kind of like just hanging out there like he's on a bar or something. And then just chilling there, doing a couple swings, and then landing straight down when Randy Orton already got out of the way. (laughs) Landing straight into a table. And, you know, Jeff Hardy had a pretty sizable fall there. That looked awfully painful. Uh, Amazingly, the table was probably the thing that actually broke his fall. But anyways, uh, Hardy got to do that. Uh, The one positive thing I got to see out of Hell in a Cell was a spectacular match. At least a good one. Uh, I don't know if it's spectacular, I guess, but... I enjoyed watching it. Uh, it was the championship match between uh, Becky Lynch and Charlotte Flair. Uh, Becky got the win, which is great. And now we get to see what's going to happen next because for the past month or so, uh, Becky and Charlotte have been going at it. 
and the WWE has tried to position Becky as the bad guy, the heel, but the audience is not allowing it because they've had such a connection with Becky and support her so much. And no matter how bad they try to turn Becky, the crowd is still cheering for her. There was a little bit of a smattering of booze when Becky did win and like didn't shake Charlotte's hand at the end of the match. But, you know, I think that's not going to really matter at the end of the day because people are going to be just so happy to see uh, Bex with the women's championship in hand. And maybe this will eventually will probably lead to a turn at some point, like a true turn, like who's going to be like the real healer face in this situation. And I think. Yeah, uh, maybe they'll shades of gray, but I think they'll the WWE will try to figure out who's going to be the good guy and the bad guy in this situation because they have to, and it's simplistic storytelling. Uh, so that was uh, Hell in the Cell. Other stuff happened, but mm, eh, it was what it was. Okay, moving on to the NBA because, you know, why not? <laughs> because it's a lot more interesting than anything else that happens in the world of sports. Although... We'll talk about it later. The NFL is really giving a go at it uh, this time around. Uh, Dwayne Wade posted a video yesterday. Uh, it was quite the 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 video, and he was talking about you know stuff that has happened to him personally over the past year or so, and how he has, because of tragedy, lost some you know desire or passion to play the game of basketball, and you know. It felt like it was the end. It felt like he was hanging it up for good. And he has said, I gone on record that ever since he left Miami, it hasn't really been like good feelings, good vibes and all that stuff. I mean, yeah, he got to go to Chicago, come home for a season and then got to play with LeBron James once more in Cleveland, but never felt right. And, you know, when he came back to Miami for that last half of the past season, it seemed like, you know, things were probably going to end on good terms. And he did say that if, you know, this is it. This is his last stop. Um, he's either he was either going to retire at the end of the past season, or he's going to give it one more go this season. And it looks like he went with the latter, uh, calling it one last dance. And Dwayne Wade is going to play his 16th NBA season with the Miami Heat, and it's going to be the end. Uh, it's going to be the end of Dwayne Wade's uh, just hall of fame career uh it's something that nobody expected few people i guess with it like except you know maybe d wade's family um expected when he first came out uh with the fifth overall pick in the 2003 nba draft going to the miami heat he was really an afterthought really that 2003 draft was all about uh lebron darko and Melo. and then after that it was like you know it's amazing because chris bosh went fourth and then d wade went fifth it's amazing how things turn out and how those two guys, Bosch and Wade, ended up having more productive, more Hall of Fame worthy careers than Melo and Darko. Of course, LeBron's LeBron. And to see, you know, the the story of how everything came together and how D Wade really was for a while there, for maybe I guess like a season or three, was maybe the most popular player in the NBA. Uh, you know, he led the Heat to the playoffs in his first season. Came within like a couple of games short of the finals in his second season when Shaq first got there and then won a championship, winning the finals MVP in his third season uh, alongside, you know, winning the championship for, you know, guys like Alonzo Mourning, my favorite player of all time, Gary Payton, Antoine Walker, Jason Williams, getting all those guys a ring. It was such a historic championship. Dallas fans might disagree with that, but <laughs> it is what it is. Zoe got a ring. So I'm super happy for D Wade. And for the time there, Wade was like super popular, really surpassed LeBron, at least from my perspective, in terms of like popularity because and accomplishments. I mean, 
for all the hype that LeBron got, D Wade already had a championship. And the narrative, at least in my thinking, was when LeBron went to Miami, he was going to be the lesser to D Wade superior uh, because he was going to Miami. He was going to Dwayne Wade's team, not the other way around. I mean, you know, eventually the narrative would change and LeBron would emerge as the guy. But at least for a while there, Wade was really like just the man, like the most popular player in the league and just commanded so much attention, so much respect. He had a signature shoot line with Converse. Then he went to Jordan Brand. And the guy was just fun to watch. I mean, there's a reason why he was called Flash in his earlier days, because he was just just a joy, just a sight to behold. Just guy could do everything except shoot three pointers, I guess. But and then he also had this hilarious commercial where uh, I know it's an ancient uh, you know, Chinese proverb, I guess, or a saying uh, where he falls a lot. And that's that was also a D-Wade calling card it was like falling a lot. Like D-Wade is the type of dude who was slashing cut to the basket and you know, get buckets, but also he was a dude who would crash and burn a lot of times. <laughs> and one of the commercials that he had with Converse was uh, fall down seven times, get up eight. And you think that math doesn't make sense, right? But, you know, it just, it kind of personified D-Wade is a guy who just kept going and going and just didn't give up. Even when his popularity wane in Miami wasn't a championship contender during like the late uh, 2000s, uh, he still kept going. And then he had a phenomenal Olympics where he was the sixth man in 2008. And, you know, pretty much people were back on the wave bandwagon. I think he almost won the MVP the following season, uh, which was like the season or two before LeBron and uh, Chris Bosh showed up. And then he had another role, basically being the second banana to LeBron's top uh, in Miami uh, as part of that big three, winning two more championships. But... At the same time, you know, he still always lorded that one ring over LeBron. At least that's what I thought. Uh, and yeah, D-Way has just been that guy who's just been like a constant, just somebody who, you know, every once in a while, you just like you don't get to see a lot of Miami games here in L.A. But, you know, every once in a while, you just turn on the computers or swip on the YouTubes or see a tweet and you'll see D-Way do something crazy. And you're like, yep. Yep, that's Dwayne Wade, all right. And um, I've had a chance to interview him several times through the years, uh, especially when to he went to Leaning. Leaning always wanted to, uh, you know, talk about his uh, way of Wades, and you know, had an opportunity to talk to him a couple times, and even interview him once in person. And that was a cool time. And one of the one of my greatest I don't I don't want to say highlights, but one of my most randomly surprising uh, moments working as a sneaker person. Uh, was when Dwayne Wade said that he knew who I was. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I watch your videos on YouTube. And I'm like, you do? Yeah. He's like, and this is the first time we're actually seeing you, seeing your face because I just hear your voice. You never put your face out there on the uh, Kicks on Fire YouTubes. And I'm like, wow, he knows what he's talking about. <laughs> I was actually kind of shocked when he said that. So, but yeah, at the end of the day, like, you know, D Wade was always a guy who did his own thing, uh, you know, went to leaning. Uh, when that wasn't a popular thing to do. And technically, it's still not the popular thing to do. I mean, there's Clay Thompson and Anta, but, you know, there's not a lot of superstars that go to uh, the Chinese brands. And Wade has really staked his claim there. He's been there for several years, probably has, like, large stakes of equity uh, within the company. And so, you know, it's just setting himself up and his family for the rest of their lives uh, over there, even though he'll never have the sneakers that, you know, most American consumers want or even are aware of. <laughs> You know, leaning is very much still a specialty kind of brand here in America, a little bit more broader out there in China. So, 
yeah, the last dance, I guess. And uh, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do for D Wade, uh, the NBA, and just other teams in general. Uh, when Kobe retired, he kind of had like you know a retirement tour. You know, people were giving him gifts and stuff. I don't. Uh, Paul Pierce thought he was going to get that, but no one cared. <laughs> just kidding. To the truth. Uh, so I don't know uh, what they're going to do for D Wade uh, for this last season. I'm sure there's going to be some teams who are going to you know say thanks for all the memories and all that stuff. I just don't know who. <laughs> uh, I'm sure when he comes to L.A., LeBron's going to have something special for him as part of his, uh, you know, final season. But, yeah, congratulations to Dwayne Wade on an amazing career. Uh, one of my favorites, definitely, and definitely a first ballot Hall of Famer. going to end up as one of the top five shooting guards of all time. He probably goes as high as three uh, behind Kobe and MJ. Uh, maybe that's the highest he'll ever get. Uh, I'm sure, like, those... Yeah, Kobe fans will probably have, you know, something to say if anybody says that Wade was better than Kobe. But anyways, uh, yeah, just an amazing, amazing career that I've watched uh, from afar in Miami. And I'll always be uh, grateful to D. Wade for getting Zoe a championship ring. <laughs> so thanks to that, D. Wade. And uh, congratulations on an amazing career. Okay, moving along to the National Football League. And no, we're not going to talk about the San Francisco 49ers, although they did beat the Detroit Lions yesterday. And Jimmy Garoppolo had a pretty, pretty decent game. Uh, bounced back from the uh, week one uh, not-so-great game against the Minnesota Vikings. Oh, I mean, it was good enough. Like, you know, the Vikings had a pretty good defense. And they probably still should have. They had a chance. They had a chance. But anyways, uh, the NFL, as I've said for the past, seems like ever since I started this podcast, has been quite boring, to be quite honest. Uh, it's just, I just haven't had the motivation to really watch a lot of games other than the Super Bowl and the 49er games just to see what's going on. And, you know, obviously, I'm a little bit more invested now that Jimmy G is on board. And, you know, if we could just get a better set of receivers, that'd be great. Uh, not that I'm complaining. <sighs> but anyways, uh, the NFL has tried, uh, tried their best to really get me to hate them. Uh, especially in light of all the uh, national anthem controversy. And by the way, I am all for the players kneeling to protest police brutality against people of color. That's <laughs> that's pretty clear. I'm on cap side. Let's, do, let's get that out of the way. My hatred towards the NFL, my dislike for the NFL is not because, you know, they're allowing the players to kneel. It's because they don't want the players to kneel, which is whatever. But... Yeah, at least on the on the football side, the game side, like, there's been a couple of enjoyable games. Obviously, there was the uh, the opener, which you know featured Aaron freaking Rodgers uh, pulling out a game out of his ass against the Bears, and you know the Bears being the Bears, uh, just you know choked. <laughs> but this this particular week had a couple of things that made me think: Wait, is the NBA back? What are we doing here? So. Uh, let's start things off with uh, Vontae Davis, who is a corner for the Buffalo Bills, who apparently had it so bad, uh, I guess they didn't have enough players suited up, uh, you know, due to injuries and just general crappiness, um, that he actually quit during halftime. Vontae Davis actually quit, quit football <laughs> in the middle of a game and retired during halftime and just dressed up and got the hell out of the game. And he just left and... Wow, <laughs> that that I I don't I, I really thought I was like wait is this NBA Twitter right now like this 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 almost sounds like something like the, that would happen during an NBA game is like a player just being so frustrated and saying I'm done I quit, 
But no, it happened in the NFL. And like, of course, people are freaking out, just trying to find out the reasons. Of course, now there's memes and parody videos about what happened. But it, it, I thought it was hilarious. I mean, obviously, I feel bad for, you know, the Bills. And I feel bad for Vontae for, you know, maybe going getting to that point and reaching that, you know, that point where it's like, you know what? It just isn't worth it anymore. And, you know, there's reasons. I guess he's released a statement. And, you know, there's probably a lot of things going on, whether he's unsatisfied satisfied with his role with the team or he feels like health-wise it's just not worth it anymore or money-wise. I mean... Personally, I wouldn't have quit during midway through the game. I mean, if he didn't want to play anymore, at least what he could have done was say, hey, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm done. Um, I'll stay until the end of the game and then just bounce afterwards uh, just to support my teammates. And, you know, hopefully they want to get through this. And, yeah, I, that's what I would have done. But, you know, I'm not going to fault davis for doing what he did if he felt like he was just in a bad situation whether it was toxic or whether it was unsafe uh you know people have their reasons uh it's just not what i would have done but you know hey people do what they do it's not like anybody got you know seriously hurt on an emotional level i'm sure his teammates were very hurt uh to see one of their guys go uh in the middle of a game just to quote unquote quit on them yeah that kind of sucks i mean you know put yourself in the position of your you know, Davis's teammates, if you find out that one of your guys quits in the middle of the game and you don't really know why he never gave you personally an explanation. I mean, I could, you know, I could understand them being hurt by that. Uh, you know, it's it's a crappy situation. So that happened. Of course, you know, the jokes came out and that's what that was. And then there was Ryan Fitzpatrick. He of the journeyman quarterback fame has had two pretty good outings for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And everyone has taken to calling him Fitz Magic, which is what the hell? That's the first. I, I don't think I've ever heard of Fitz Magic ever before, unless you know he was doing well when he was with the Jets, I think. But anyways, uh, he has been playing for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers because Jameis Winston is an idiot and groped an Uber driver, and you know has been suspended for three games. So I guess there's like one more game to go. But Fitz Magic has been spectacular. I think he has like a lot of touchdowns and zero picks, and he came dressed for his post-game conference looking like Conor McGregor. And by that, I mean like in a suit that makes him look like a tough but also fashionable badass <laughs> with with a zipped-up shirt with the zipper like all the halfway down so you can see the dude's chest hair and his beard is pretty immaculate and he's got a pretty good haircut, which is a big difference from like Ryan Fitzpatrick from like the Texans days where he looked like a bum. Uh, here it's more like, oh yeah, no, it's got a good clean haircut with the beard like coming out there, which is pretty cool, and he's got the shades. And apparently he borrowed that outfit from Deshaun Jackson, which was a surprise to me because I didn't know Deshaun Jackson was on the Buccaneers. Now I was like, what? Why Deshaun Jackson's on the Bucks? Weird. But anyways, uh, Fitz Magic was on his uh, on his A game in terms of, like his fit uh, during the post game press conference, and that was pretty spectacular. And I was like, yep. Yeah, no, that's cool. That's cool. That's funny. <laughs> I am all for the uh, the Fitzmagic bandwagon. And then there's uh, Patrick Mahomes, uh, which I thought was Patrick Mahomes. I apologize. So he has had a spectacular start, uh, you know, throwing for, I believe, what is it, 10 touchdowns and zero picks for his first uh, two NFL games. And I'm guessing that's a record. And, you know, this almost feels like, in a weird way, kind of like the situation with... Uh, uh, Colin Kaepernick and Alex Smith back in the uh, earlier days of the 2010s uh, with the 49ers when 
Jim Harbaugh pretty much, you know, you know, was it injury or was it just poor play? But anyways, uh, instead of going with Alex Smith, he went with Colin Kaepernick and Kaepernick just had a spectacular run that ended up with a Super Bowl appearance. And yeah, like it's kind of like something like this all over again, although it plays out in a longer way with uh, Coach Andy Reid of the Kansas City Chiefs uh, letting Alex Smith go to the uh, Washington professional football team in favor of Mahomes, which is like, oh, that sucks. Alex Smith kind of got, you know, the shaft again when he was playing well. And, you know, uh, as somebody who has dealt with the entire Alex Smith experience, I know for a fact that, you know, I've had my issues with Alex Smith, but also, man, you know, he's finally gotten a chance to prove himself and he's actually doing well in Washington. I don't know what he did in week two, but yeah, Mahomes uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs has been spectacular and yeah, it's been fun to watch. And it's like, oh, good. The fun is kind of sort of back with the NFL. And then I guess this morning, Antonio Brown kind of made a trade threat because some flunky uh, in the Steelers PR, like a former PR flunky for the uh, Steelers. When, by the way, I don't have a par- problem with PR people. It's when they kind of step out of line <laughs> and think they're a lot more important than they think they are, uh, than they actually are. Uh, you know, kind of, you know, get a little bit, you know, feel themselves a little too much. And this is, I guess, a case of that where the uh, former Steelers PR person was tweeting about, you know, Antonio Brown not being as good as he thinks he is. Uh, Brown has not had a good start, I guess. And the Steelers are like 0-1-1. and Yeah, there's a tie there. And he's basically crediting all of Antonio Brown's success to Ben Roethlisberger, who is, you know, hey, Ben Roethlisberger is a Hall of Fame quarterback, uh, one of the best that the game has ever seen. But to put all of Antonio Brown's success on Big Ben, which is kind of it's kind of nuts, uh, considering Brown's production through the years and just you know his highlight plays and yeah his performance. And it kind of gets back to like how much value we place on quarterbacks and how they're like the end all be all. It's like yeah, but like look at somebody like Jimmy G. I mean he 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 should be like. He's a spectacular quarterback. He's fun to watch. But, you know, if he has shitty wide receivers and they can't catch, it, it kind of doesn't mean anything, right? It's like you need to have competent, good wide receivers. And Big Ben has had the great fortune of having many great wide receivers in his tenure, uh, you know, for the Steelers. And, you know, that's not all because of Ben. I mean, a lot of it is because of Ben. There's a good chunk of it. But a lot of it is also going the talent of the receivers themselves. It's like saying, like, you know, Odell Beckham is only as good as he is because of Eli Manning. I was like, well, Odell Beckham would probably be better if he had a quarterback better than Eli Manning, right? <laughs> it's like, come on, get out of here. Like, it was stuff like that. And also, you're a former Steelers PR, so it's going to look like sour grapes. And I'm sure it's probably because, like, you know, maybe he had beef with Brown or, you know, maybe they kind of got into it when he was working there with the team. And then, of course, Antonio Brown responded on Twitter saying, yeah, let's trade me and find out. So... Of course, that's not going to happen. The Steelers aren't going to trade Antonio Brown because of some former PR flunky, you know, you know, running off the, his mouth and all that stuff. So, but that again, that's another goofy. <laughs> that's another, like, you know, wacky part of like NFL at the moment, which is like, oh, good, we're finally getting back to kind of stuff like that, or we're starting to get into stuff like that, which is like the weird goofiness of like the NBA now with the NFL. Although, you know, I'm sure at some point Jerry Jones and the owners and that clown face moron that we have as a president is gonna you know ruin the parade and try to figure is you know tweet something or say something that's gonna make things not fun again so we're gonna enjoy this while it lasts kind of like fitz magic 
Okay, moving on to uh, video game stuff. I have been playing Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4. Actually, I'm sorry. It's Marvel's Spider-Man for the PlayStation 4. I guess that's the full title is Marvel Spider-Man. They can't just call it Spider-Man. I guess because it would be maybe too tied into the movies or something. But anyways, um, I got to say I love this game. <laughs> I love this game so much. Uh, one of my favorite games of all time is uh, Spider-Man 2 for the original Xbox. And I'm sure that's a lot of touchstone for a lot of uh, gamers out there who you know played that and you know are reminded of that when playing this particular uh, game for the ps4 and the thing that made spider-man 2 so fun back then was just the novelty of an open world new york where you could just swing anywhere and you know just hang out and just do spider-man stuff and just you know climb buildings and go wherever and kind of just do all the things that a friendly neighborhood spider-man does and now we get to have it in this current console generation with this high fidelity of graphics with improved controls, although it does take a little bit to get used to, uh, but it's just so fun. Uh, I haven't done a lot of like actual story missions. I've just been like swinging around uh, <laughs> New York, Manhattan, uh, just getting around and getting a feel for all of the buildings, the architecture, all of the landmarks. Uh, I've come across like a couple things that I was kind of surprising the uh, sanctum uh, uh, Dr. Strange's sanctum was there the Avengers building is there just it's those kinds of things and there's like tiny little like you know Spider-Man uh, trinkets and uh, Easter eggs for you to discover that you're like oh these the people who made this game are genuine Spider-Man fans uh, there's also the hidden costumes the backpacks uh just the stuff that you can unlock all of those suits man when i unlocked the scarlet spider uh costume that was like just a thrill just to see the old ben riley suit again was just like just something to just something i really appreciated and you know that somebody appreciates like you know mid-90s clone spider-man saga stuff uh, it's cool to see uh, and then there's just a bunch of other things that I've never even seen before. And I'm sure that was like all addressed in the comic books, like through the past decades or so. And I like where the story is going so far. Uh, looks like Spider-Man is a dude who is, yeah, just a interesting dude who's out on his luck in terms of like financial wise, which is, you know, I like a lot of like Spider-Man stories, Peter Parker stories, but this one's a little bit different, uh, because the cast of characters around him are a lot different. Uh, Aunt May works at a homeless shelter and seems like she is doing very well for herself. Uh, you know, Spidey Parker is just a guy who's just trying to figure things out. Audio uh, Otto Octavius, aka Doctor Octopus, seems like a well mild mannered guy so far. Uh, and that's who Parker is working for is uh, Doc, the eventual Doc Ock. Uh, Mary Jane is not a Hollywood actress; she is a reporter for the Daily Bugle. Janie Jonah Jameson is no longer at the Bugle. And is hosting a podcast now in the same format of like, you know, psychopath Alex Jones, uh, Infowars kind of nonsense, which is, you know, funny. And the, that's the thing, right? Is like a character like an Alex Jones and in an Infowars, you know, nonsense crap is funny in the context of a video game where it's not real. But in real life, it's stupid and dangerous. So, yeah, J. Jonas, J. Jonah Jameson as Alex Jones uh, is funny in a video game context. But if there was actually a J. Jonah Jameson uh, doing the Alex Jones riff in real life, yeah, that's that's dangerous. So that's that's the line I draw is like eh, in the fictional video game world, that stuff is funny in real life. Yeah, Twitter should just ban them, which they did, but you know, too little, too late. 
but anyways, uh, the, the game, like I said, is just spectacular. Uh, the controls are... Yeah, the controls just get uh, were fine. Uh, they took a little bit of a while getting used to, but you know, after you get the swing of it, uh huh, <laughs> uh, you do get like you know f very familiar with it. Uh, there's especially a couple of things that you wanna maybe want to upgrade right away if you are starting this game out. Uh, you know, because there's skill trees, uh, and when you increase your XP, your experience points. You get to level up and you get to use skill points to upgrade stuff on your skill trees. The thing that I rec recommend is trying to get the ones where it allows you to, um, you know, traverse the city a little bit easier using web zips and using the uh, the vaulting mechanic where you web to a particular point And then just as you're about to launch, uh, jump off again, you press X at the right time. And it actually gives you a little bit of a speed boost, which is very helpful in uh, particular missions where you have to chase after uh, particular characters, uh, you know, as Spider-Man, which sounds like it should be fun, but also can be kind of frustrating if you're still not completely, you know, getting the hang of all of the controls. But anyways, this game is super fun. I uh, cannot wait to play it some more and try to pretty much unlock most of the city and try to find even more Easter eggs and find all the backpacks. And maybe at some point I'll get back to the story, but I'm just having so much fun going up these buildings and unlocking all the towers and finding black cat uh trinkets and all that stuff it's just yeah as a spider-man fan it's it's as good as it gets right now it really is uh between spider-man homecoming peter parker's role in infinity war and then we've got this and then you've also got like an upcoming spider-man uh, animated movie later this year with uh miles morales seems to have like a pretty prominent role in it yeah, there's a lot of stuff to love about Spider-Man right now, and that's that's a good thing. It warms my spider-loving heart. Not actual spiders, but like Spider-Man. Okay, sticking in the world of comic book news, uh, but in a totally different medium, we've got a first look at what Joaquin Phoenix is going to look like as the Joker in Todd Phillips' uh, spin-off movie, which... Apparently, is not going to have anything to do with the Jared Leto Joker uh, that has been featured in Suicide Squad and is part of the larger uh, DC movie universe. So this Joker, played by Phoenix, is not going to have anything to do with Justice League or the Ben Affleck Batman, I guess. And so it's basically Venom, but it's going to be played in a totally different way, I guess, because at least with the Venom, the Tom Hardy Venom, there's a chance that it might actually end up in the uh, MCU at some point. So uh, this Joker uh, played by Phoenix uh, is going to be a guy named Arthur. I guess we're going to go through his origin story and he's going to be in Gotham City taking care of his ailing mother. And we are going to have, I guess, the rise of the Joker. And we got a first look at what he looks like. And he looks like Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, who hasn't uh, taken a bath and has been living homeless for past years or so. Although his, his beard is shaved, so at least he's clean shaven. But anyways, um, I'm, I don't know. I have no idea if I should be interested in this or if this is something that's going to be worth watching. The cast is interesting because apparently Robert De Niro is in it and maybe Mark Maron uh, <laughs> of W2F fame and Glow fame is going to be in this movie too. So I don't know. I guess it could be interesting. I guess it's maybe something that might be worth watching at some point because 
DC is really taking interesting track with their movies. Uh, if there's going to be this spinoff movie and then there's might be another Batman spinoff movie that has nothing to do with Justice League or the DC stuff. Like it's an interesting take. It's kind of like how it is in comic books where there are different creative teams on different titles where Batman can have Batman, uh, Shadow of the Bat, uh, action comics like detective comics or something. I know it wasn't action. It was detective comics. But anyways, uh, you know, Batman can have several different titles going on within a month, maybe three or four. And it's done by all different creative teams. And they're not necessarily all tied together. They're like all different separate Batman stories going on at the same time. But, you know, it's not necessarily, you know, really, really, really like important for them to all tie in together at some point. So maybe this is just, you know, one interpretation of the Joker's origin story. And it's just a one off and never you know, matters ever again. It's a, or it could, you know, but I would prefer that it didn't because it would just tell just to tell a separate story, I guess. And there is a way that this could work. Uh, you know, it would cr- require the audience to think a little bit more critically and just have a little bit more of like an open mindedness to it. But my guess is that there's going to be a lot of people who are confused about this and they're going to see, wait a minute. Why is Joaquin Phoenix the Joker? And it's not Jared Leto. I like Jared Leto Joker. I don't actually like Jared Leto Joker. But anyways, the point is, is like there's going to be like right now two actors who are playing different takes on the Joker. And then there's still like the the shadow of the Heath Ledger Joker, uh, you know. So there's just so much Joker stuff going on that is going to be confusing to the audience. It's kind of like, you know, having three different Spider-Mans within like 10 years. You got Tobey Maguire, Andrew Garfield, and now uh, Tom, Ho- Tom Holland. And so I'm sure that's com- still confusing to some people. So. But if they're going to have this uh, concurrently, like if Jared Leto Joker is going to show up in a different DC movie and then this Joker movie is going to come out within like, you know, within a similar time frame, people are going to be confused. And I don't blame them. I mean, I can follow it along pretty quick because I've been, you know, reading comic books all my life. So it's not surprising to me to like read a different Spider-Man story one week and then a different one the next week and then a different one the following week. Uh, you know, and to have them not ever, ever like, you know, tie in together. So that that's normal to me. So but if there are different movies coming out, I'm sure there's going to be people who are going to be like, what the hell's going on? And I don't blame them. So good luck, I guess. I mean, it could be interesting, but I don't have high hopes for it at the moment. Although the idea of Robert De Niro being in a comic book movie is kind of funny. And yeah, hopefully it's not one of those. He needs a paycheck kind of deals. <laughs> So I was going to sign off with this idea that Robert De Niro was actually going to be in a comic book movie, but something came up within like the last, what is it, 20 minutes of recording this podcast. It looks like the Nike Kobe 4 is coming back in 2019 in the form of like a Protro, which is Kobe Bryant's uh, way of creating retros. We're not calling it retros because he just has to be Mamba and makes himself special and all that stuff. But anyways... Uh, the Kobe 4 Pro Tro is going to be dropping allegedly in this, uh, February of 2019. Uh, I think it was first reported on Sneaker Bar Detroit or was it uh, Wear Testers? But that's where I found them. But anyways, the Kobe 4 is coming back and it's one of my favorite Kobe's of all time. Uh, it really started the uh, low cut revolution, at least like made it more popular than it was already. I mean, we've seen guys like Gilbert Arenas and Steve Nash wear low cut basketball shoes, but it was really Kobe who kind of, I guess, sort of mainstreamed the idea that you can be a top flight basketball player and wear low cut sneakers. Uh, you know, he took his inspiration of like soccer boots and all that stuff and 
just the freedom of range and move that it allowed you to do, uh, you know, pretty much open it up for him. And yeah, Nike really got behind the idea and Kobe's were some of the more popular basketball sneakers uh, for a really long stretch there. And it really all started with the Nike Zoom Kobe 4. So we are getting a Kobe 4 Pro Tro in February. And the first colorway that's going to drop is, of all things, the Hornets colorway. The the Draft Day colorway, which is actually a sneaker that I have. I I don't know what to think of that. <laughs> it's like... Uh, I have the original and I, and I have held on to it for so long that the retro has actually already come out. So by the time that February uh, 2019 rolls around, that should be around, the, what is it? It should be like the 10th. Will that be like the 10th anniversary of the Kobe 4? I think it'll be that. Uh, and that is a little crazy to consider. Uh, just Yeah, it makes me feel a little bit old, <laughs> just a little bit. And of all the colorways for it to launch with, it's going to be the uh, the 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 draft day, which is done in the uh, Charlotte Hornets colors, and even has the uh, the date of the 1996 NBA draft on there, uh, which was you know famous for the fact that Kobe was drafted by the Hornets and was traded to the Lakers. Was it like a week or two later? But it's just a wild, wild thing to think about. Is like we we are really at that point where shoes sneakers that i owned and you know was pretty much like really paying attention to sneaker culture at that point uh are finally getting retros 10 years later that's uh, a little bizarre to think and every once in a while i'll still wear that particular kobe 4 i think i, I have like a handful of kobe 4s and kobe 5s but it's it's that one that's particular because that's the, that was the first kobe 4 that i owned was the uh draft day colorway so to hear that that's the one that's getting a pro tro treatment which means it's probably going to be lighter and it's going to use a little bit more modern materials, which is great. Even though the Kobe 4 at the time was a great performance shoe. And, you know, I, I'm going to be interested to see how it holds up. I mean, you know, it'll be nice to have a fresh pair, I guess, because uh, yellowing has really taken over uh, the the more you know, chunkier parts of the shoe. <laughs> so having a fresh pair would be nice to have. All right, everybody, hope you all enjoyed this a little bit extended version of the Easyville Minute. We've had a lot to cover, I guess. Uh, this is Juan Martinez of the Easyville Network. Uh, find out more about the network by going to patreon.com slash Easyville. That is E-Z-Y-V-I-L-L-E. Subscribe to that. It's how we keep things going. It's how we keep this podcast ad-free. It's how we keep the videos whenever they come up uh, ad-free as well. And, you know, of course, you'll see exclusive content on there that you just won't see anywhere else. So uh, thanks for listening, everybody, and I will see you at the next thing.